Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. We are graciously uh, blessed to have Rachel Coleman, and her company is a College Essay Editor. And as always, we have uh, a question that we overarching question and it is how important is a college essay editor in the admissions process so i'd like to introduce uh, rachel and uh, rachel tell us a little bit about who you are what you do and uh, what's really exciting is the aha moment when you knew that this was the way to transition to where you are now Great. Well, I just want to first say thank you guys both so much for having me. I'm really excited uh, to talk with you today. So I, guess, I think would make the most sense to give a little bit of background about myself. Um, as you know, my name is Rachel. I got my degree originally in comparative literature from Stanford. And while I was at Stanford, I was actually the head of the Hume Center for Writing and Speaking. Um, so the most essential things to know about me, I love reading, I love writing, and I love working with students on their writing. So you'll be utterly unsurprised to find that my favorite part of this whole college application process um, is the essay and all of the essays and especially how students can articulate um, in a compelling detail stories about themselves that are going to make them shine in the college application process. So I actually initially when I graduated I didn't I didn't even know something like an education consultant even existed as a career I could I could have used you guys as career counselors um, because I my first job out of college was actually working in the senate and became I would enjoyed my job but became I'd say a little disillusioned with politics and then decided what I really want to go back to doing was just my, my years of tutoring. I was a tutor all through high school. I was a tutor all through college. And that was just my favorite thing to be doing is to talk with students about their writing. Who are they? What do they want to say? How can they be effective communicators? I loved it. So I ended up um, deciding that if I wanted to pursue this path, I should get more education. Classic nerd. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So I, I went and I got my college counseling degree from UCLA, uh, and then I founded College Essay Editor. And so uh, I would say what my 
what College Essay Editor offers is the whole gamut of uh, services. So whether it's if you just want a little bit of help on an essay, you can work with us on an hourly basis. If you really want to start, if you're starting from the beginning of the process and you say, what do I do? Who should I be? What career should I choose? Which school is right for me? We work with students on a comprehensive basis. If you come in and you say, hey, Rachel, I don't know how I'm going to pay for college. We can talk about financial aid later. And how are the essays really significant in the college application process and the financial aid and the scholarship application process? We can start there. So I think that does a pretty good job of laying out the scope of what I'm passionate about. Um, but the core of it is the essays. That's what I love. All right. That, that's where you ended up. Uh, well, what you're doing uh, mostly right now, but your background is very similar to a degree to Maria's. She was an English uh, major in college and taught English in high school to gifted students. And so your backgrounds uh, are similar. Not me though. Uh, <laughs> uh, I was a business major in, in college and, uh, you know, coming out of college <clears throat> a long time ago, you just kind of get a job. And you know, sometimes when you get a job, you just stay in that that field for whatever reason, money, you got interest, you start to know people, but that's going down a different uh, path here that we wanted to speak about today. Um, we, we, got, we got a call this morning from somebody who is graduating early, he skipped a grade, and he wants to go to Princeton. And the number one question the mother had is, uh, can you help us with the essay? Not about money, not about you know anything else. Can you help us with the essay? And say, yeah, yeah, we can. So you know, my question to you is, in this world, the way it's changed in the last year or two, is how important is that college essay editor in today's world? Yeah, great question. Um, so I would say probably more important than ever before, uh, primarily because I'm sure as you guys are aware, with the COVID pandemic, majority of colleges in the United States have gone test optional. So whereas in previous years, there was more of a, call it a smorgasbord of variables that were being taken into account. Your extracurriculars, your GPA, your test scores, the rigor of your transcript, um, your community service, all these things were taken into account, maybe in some cases an art portfolio, an architecture portfolio. But when the testing piece has been taken out of the equation, I would argue that the essay has sort of, um, been elevated in significance because it has become the new centerpiece for what colleges are looking for. Um, and it, I would even say, or just clarify that I'm purely speaking about American universities. Uh, mm -hmm. This is not the, the case if you're applying to a EU, British, Australian, Canadian school, they care significantly less about the essays. <laughs> in, in the US, our current higher education uh, landscape has prioritized understanding not just uh, what the student wants to study, but who they are, their characters and their values. So in this sense, it's an amazing actually, I would actually say opportunity to be able to showcase who you are, like independent of your test scores or your GPA, if those were hard for you. So I think that the essay is this great opportunity that we have in America that not many other countries, uh, I mean, take, I work with several international Chinese students and they are so defined by their test scores and GPA. They want to study, let's say medicine and they can't, their test scores don't allow them to. But if you're in, a, in the United States, if you write a great essay and you're able to articulate who you are and what you want out of the college experience, you can, um, I would say, punch above your, your GPA in a certain sense. And that's what's so exciting about um, our higher education landscape. 
Well, the colleges uh, in California uh, are making our lives a little bit more difficult here out in the West because unless you really, you know, clued into and following this uh, information, you know, the, the, the kids here are not that into, you know, not taking the SATs. They're aware of it. But California is, you know, test optional, the big name schools, the elite schools, the Ivies. So, you know, we're, we're adjusting to that here as well. But uh, how do you... Uh, how do you structure your program? You mentioned earlier about like per hour, maybe if a student, I guess it depends on, on what you want to do. How was your thing structured? Is it by the hour, by the week, by the essay? Can you talk about that? Absolutely. It, it really depends on where the student is in the process and what their budget is. So we work with families. And I, I should also mention to anyone listening, I also work with at least two to three pro bono students every year. So if you're someone who has real serious need, I that's part of my philosophy and mission. I also love, love, love to work with pro bono students. But yeah, so some students have a beautiful essay, they've already written it, they have their list of schools, they've done their research, and they really just want a second set of eyes to say, check, make sure my grammar's, you know, I don't want any typos, I want a final check. And so that would probably work with them on an, on an hourly basis. I don't tend to do by essay because it could vary wildly how much time I'm spending on an essay, it's really hourly. Um, and then some students I work with on a comprehensive basis where they would pay a flat fee and then work with me for probably unlimited hours. And we would do everything from build the college list. Um, we're talking, talking about net price calculators and the financial aid. We're talking family budget. We work on all the essays together, you know, everything. The smorgasbord of activities that you would do when you're working with someone uh, comprehensively. So like I said, it really just depends on where the student is. Do you want just a little bit of help on the essays on an hourly basis? or do you want everything comprehensively? That's how I've structured my business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Question we always like to ask people, uh, you know, in our business and your business is, are you able to work with special needs students to any degree? Um, yes, and in fact, I would actually argue that sometimes the best time, the, the students who often need the most additional help and they would be the, uh, the students I would consider who should work with me, uh, primarily, especially students with learning differences, I know uh, sometimes the essay can be a really daunting task if you have, depending on you know where on the spectrum you are and what your learning differences are. And one of the things I love to do when I work with students with learning differences um, is help them get the accommodations that they need to succeed in high school and college, in addition to help them find colleges that are gonna have the right support systems in place for them to succeed. And these programs, thank you, uh, America, are working on it, we're improving in some ways, are actually expanding, um, more including in some engineering programs recently at University of Connecticut, they put in a learning differences program, which is it's more rare in the science field. Um, so that is definitely something I do, something I love to do, and um, yeah, something I'm very passionate about. So yes, to answer your question. How do you distinguish yourself? You're an, you call yourself an editor. How do you distinguish that from a coach or is there a difference? I personally don't distinguish it. I think we, uh, my partner and I just chose College Essay Editor because that was the website that we could purchase and ranked. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, more, that's more or less what went into that decision-making process. Okay. Um, that makes writing, I would say I've worked with students from the beginning of the brainstorming process mm -hmm. and I've worked with students just at the end I've worked with master students, transfer students, you know, acting, BFA applicants. I've really worked with a wide variety of students, which actually, in my opinion, makes my life, my job fun and interesting. Uh -huh. 
it's, you could get bored working with the same genre of student over and over again. So I always try to seek out new specialties and new uh, academic disciplines to learn about. So whenever I get someone like, oh, you know, animation programs, fantastic. I'm going to go learn about anim computer animation mm -hmm. programs, become the new master. And then through the work, uh, through working with a student, I, in my opinion, would gain a new specialty. And that's really fun for me. How, you know, uh, to kind of uh, jump in, as if, if you will, when would you want uh, a student to start working with you? Like junior year, senior year, you know, what would you, you know, if you had your, the best time and the best uh, student level, what would you say would be the, the best time to start? Um, I've started working with students as young as freshman year in, uh, in high school. I would probably say that would be the earliest I would feel comfortable working with the student. Um, maybe the ideal would probably be freshman or sophomore year. And I do that for two reasons. One, it's, I think we just get to know each other better. We develop a better relationship and the better relationship I have with the student, the better help I can be and more finely hone my advice and support. So that's just, that's just nice to get an extra three years to get to know somebody. Mm -hmm. um, but the second reason is that there's a lot of interesting things that you can be doing. You guys know this as career counselors to be exploring your academic interests in a way that the American, especially American public high schools don't necessarily support. So if I can work with a student freshman, sophomore year, I can be making sure that they're taking advantage of their summers to do fun job shadowing opportunities. Or if they say, Rachel, I dream of being an architect. I say, okay, architecture, you know, architecture applications require portfolios. Mm -hmm. You are walking into a portfolio-based game. You need to start developing your portfolio now. And mm -hmm. so if someone tells me that as a freshman, then we can make sure every single summer they're enrolled in architecture summer programs, which are building their portfolio and getting them ready to compete when they're applying senior year. Mm -hmm. So. And this way, I would say freshman, sophomore year. But of course, I welcome everybody. Everybody's at a different stage. Of, not everyone's an architect. But right. I welcome everybody at all stages of the process. Well, we've we've spoken to a few uh, consultants who, uh, you know, trying to get the applications to the top of the pile in these very competitive days. And I don't have to tell you that the uh, number of applications are actually have risen dramatically mm -hmm. in the elite schools. And um, you know, the fact that you know, you only have, what, a 600-word essay? Is that still hold up? Okay. 650 for the main personal statement, yeah. <laughs> so if you had, and that's not a lot of words. So uh, do you do you help pick a topic, or do you do these the students have their passion project, as we call it, or it's, it's around the industry, a passion project? Do you help them pick a topic, or you just go with what they give you? Sometimes we go with what they give me, depends on what they give me. Um, no, I spend a lot of time doing essay brainstorming. I actually have a whole essay brainstorming workshop presentation that I like to do. Um, and then we, after, let's say they brainstorm 50 topics or something. That's when I feel like I have real meat to sink my teeth into, more than just their resume or list of activities they're involved in. And we'll, we'll then pick one that we decide has to be the centerpiece the main personal statement, but maybe one, let's say if they do some interesting research over the summer, maybe one goes into the additional information section, um, which is optional in the Common App. And then we also look at them and we say, okay, which ones are gonna be supplemental essays? And then it becomes almost, uh, I like puzzles, but it becomes more of a strategic process. What What's kind of in your arsenal of stories that you have? 
look at all of the supplemental essays, let's say there's two to three per school, and how do you strategically put in all the important stories that you want to tell about yourself, what goes where. So I, I definitely, I play a role in helping students choose the topics, but I will say this, I tell people, I'm pretty honest, I tell people what I think, I tell them what I think college admission officers will think, and I tell them, I give them, I lay all the cards on the table. I say, this is how this might be perceived. This is the landscape. This is the comp level of competition. And then I say, but at the end of the day, you're the one who has to own your own story. You're the one who has to enjoy writing it. Because if you don't enjoy writing, what's the point? You, I don't, I don't want to read an essay you don't enjoy writing. I, I, the audience will tell. So more often than not, uh, it's a very mutual decision where I'll give all the information and I say, but you own, you have to own this decision. I definitely want this to be a student-driven process. And my goal is, at the end of the day, my goal is to help students become better writers themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, that's fair. And, and that's, I think, a life skill. Fellow, fellow English teacher, right. um, Marie, I want them to be lifelong writers. Right. And you want their voice to come out. And because, you know, as as a uh, college admissions person will look at this and say, this is just a canned this is just a canned essay. There's no voice, there's no feeling. So it is important to that balance between, you know, structure, if you will, and then the voice also has to come through. And that's always the, the, the fine line that at, we as English teachers, writers, uh, you know, are always kind of walking. Yeah. I oftentimes say, just to, just to put a, a point on that, um, I oftentimes say humor is I, I'm, I love humor. And I think sometimes humor can be the most individual and most revealing of a, of a student's voice. So I'm frequently encouraging students like, you know, your sense of humor is different than my sense of humor. You know, your internal sarcastic thought is different than my internal sarcastic <laughs> thought. And we need, and I, like, give me all of your sarcasm and your cynicism and your silliness. And I think sometimes that's a great way to really understand who a person is. And it's also fun for me. <laughs> uh, I, I read an article the other day on Facebook about uh, college students graduating and trying to get in uh, employed into the big banks and uh, the person uh, giving the uh, Facebook uh, post uh, worked for the banks and he said they get actually like a hundred thousand more applications for a major bank to get employed there. And they send cover letters. Everybody has a cover letter plus their resume, but they don't read the cover letters. It's read by, I guess, artificial intelligence, mm -hmm. I understand, that gets rid of most of them. And I guess that has to do with grammar and punctuation and spelling and such. But do you help uh, with the resume process of, of kids graduating and the cover letters, which is so important, I guess? <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, we Frankly, I mean, I, I've sort of chosen to specialize in the undergraduate application process, I would say, in the transfer application process, um, primarily because that's the type of writing I like. It's so creative. It's a little more fun than the cover letter as a genre. That said, um, my partner and I handle all forms of writing. So we've worked on plenty of cover letters. We've worked on plenty of master's um, student, uh, master's applications, which is a really different genre of writing as well. Um, we've worked on students uh, with worked with students applying to international programs, um, resumes, as you mentioned. Resumes, really importantly, I'll just say one thing, resumes, uh, depending on the intended audience. I've actually worked with several athletes as well. We haven't really talked about athletics and the role that that plays in 
um, college admissions, but athletes, high, high school senior athletes, mm -hmm. they don't, they need to not only have their own academic resume, but they also need to have their athletic resume. Mm -hmm. And the athletic recruiting process is practically like applying to an additional 10 colleges. It just doubles the amount of work uh, that students do. So those are all pieces of the process that I help students with. Good, good. Well, um, as someone who is an independent educational counselor, uh, you know that, uh, and we know that there's a lack of, of, of uh, guidance in the high school, uh, from the high school counselors. And, you know, we all understand that it's not there, the counselor's fault, it's just that they're just overwhelmed. And we know in Pennsylvania, we have uh, the ratio of 400 to one in Pennsylvania, and they are just doing, uh, they can't, they can't do it. So what would you uh, say to parents uh, who are concerned about the, the counseling that their children are getting or are not getting? What kind of uh, advice would you give to that parent? Great question. Um, let me yeah, just first echo what you were saying about it not being the guidance counselor's fault. That's so true. I work with, I have many of my best friends in the Portland uh, metro area are guidance counselors who work at our big public schools here and they're awesome and they're doing their best, uh, best that they can. But just naturally, you can imagine they have, they're responsible for all the mental health of the school. You know, and a suicide risk is always going to take or drug or drug abuse or anything like that. It's just going to take precedence over college preparation. So not their fault. Um, and I very much see my role as supporting them in what in the awesome work that they do. Um, and on and that I'll also just quickly make a distinction between private high schools and public high schools too, which is that um, same with private high schools. Most private high schools are going to have a designated college counselor. Um, who in fact actually, in order to get the position, had to take the same UCLA college counseling degree that I took, same uh, qualifications. And sometimes they're awesome and sometimes they're overworked as well. So it really differs. I occasionally have families and I happen to know that the private high school that they're going to has really great support services. And I'll tell them, hey, you don't necessarily need to hire me. You have great college counseling. You don't need me. You're welcome to hire me anyway, but you probably don't need me. Um, so I just want to distinguish between those two. And then to answer your question about why would a parent seek outside help if they're worried that their student's not getting enough attention. And to, my first thing I tend to say is college is extremely expensive. If you're going to make a huge, you know, multi-thousand dollar um, investment over four years, it makes, to me, it makes a lot of sense to make sure you're asking questions really early on in the process and make sure that your child is finding the school that's the right fit for them and their career aspirations, finding a school that's gonna fit their financial budget, whatever that might be, and putting in that extra time at the beginning could actually end up saving you huge amounts of money down the road. So I actually think that's a real, there's a real cost to not thinking about this early, whether or not you choose to hire someone or not hire someone or do the research on your own. Plenty of people do the research on their own, which I think is great, but. I'm a big advocate of just getting this information out there because I think that um, parents are just not quite aware of how expensive college is. And then the flip side of how many great cost-saving ways um, or cost-saving opportunities that there are out there for their child. And so that's sort of how I see my goal um, or I see my purpose when I talk with families. 
Mm-hmm. You know, you and I have worked with uh, students in the high school age and teenagers, and they are not the most communicative, just in case no one has known that. Um, and if I'm a parent and I'm not getting any feedback from my student, my child, how am I going to know if this child is in trouble or needs help? Because, you know, as you know, and I know, they, they don't talk to their parents. I mean, we have dozens of stories about that, and I'm, I'm sure you could fill a volume yourself. But what are some of the, the signs that, you know, that, uh, you know, uh, Janie just isn't getting what she needs? Can you help us with that? What are some of, what would you tell your parents? I would say, um, well, I'm a big, maybe I'm a type A person, but um, I like to set deadlines, and if there aren't clear actions taken by deadlines, then that's when I would start to worry. So for example, if I, um, if I was a parent and a child did not have a finalized college list by say August before their senior year, and if not close to finalized, like right. at least a solid five, you know, then I would say something's wrong. Are you, and then I'd ask them questions. Are you not excited about college? Do you mm-hmm. not know what you want to study? Are you nervous about the essay and therefore you're dreading it and you're putting it off? Like there could be a lot of reasons why that hasn't happened. So developing the college list is something that's really important. I think that symbolic of the students excited about what's uh-huh. going on. Uh-huh. Um, that would be one sign. And then, yeah. And then I would also look, pay attention to their grades and their, cause different students have, um, oh my gosh, especially this year with virtual education transcripts have just been all over the place pass fail not pass fail students falling through the cracks um teachers trying as hard as possible to connect with students and sometimes succeeding so that would be another to me red flag as if a a student was had a real decline in grades Uh and i would say okay what's what's going on here maybe you need to work with and especially if you have one of the things that I found that I really am excited about is when I work with a student, especially from a young age, like say sophomore, freshman, if they have a goal that they're working to, working towards, they're so much more enthusiastic about their classes that they're taking because they know it matters. Mm-hmm. If I say you need X GPA in order to even be eligible to apply for this engineering program, like in order to even qualify to get to have them read your application, then then their grades matter to them. It has purpose. Uh-huh. It has meaning. And I think that's just something that um, I think parents can see, you know, hey, is my student really taking, is my child taking their grades and their classes seriously? And are they putting in the, are they being thoughtful about it? Those are some of the things I would look for. Right. And we always, Tom and I always uh, tell our parents and anytime we speak to a group of uh, individuals, we always say, you know, Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass. Centipede says to Alice, if you don't know where you're going, any path will take you there. And I think that is something that we, you know, as as educators sometimes miss that, that we need to be moving the students to a goal. What is the goal? You know, uh, sometimes we get wrapped up in our own passion of literature and our love of writing that sometimes we miss those, you know, those cues that the student is really rudderless, if you will. Um, What's your ideal student? Oh, ideal student. Frankly, my ideal student is one that uh, that we, well, that we get on well. And also my ideal student would be, I try to have a diversity of students. So 
if I had all one student, I would not enjoy my, my job. If I had all X stereotype of a student, the jock, the high achiever, the artist, right. I would be thoroughly not happy. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I like to work the diversity of students across the diversity of um, academic disciplines. But in terms of the ideal student, to me, it's one who's curious. Mm -hmm. well, and that goes for all types of students. So if I give them resource, research materials, I say, we're going to really dig into learning about this school, right? Before we decide if you're going to apply to Franklin and Marshall. One. Um, before we, uh, so if I, if I, if I want to dig into research with a student and discuss the like nuts and bolts of a school with them, I want them to also want to learn about that. Uh, and so for me, that would be the ideal student. Good. And uh, I have one more question if I can ask you, what was the biggest challenge that you had to overcome in starting your business and starting your career? The biggest challenge to overcome? I've been very lucky that uh, through word of mouth and through uh, marketing that I've had been fairly successful um, starting my business. I would honestly, actually, so not too, too much challenging on the business side. The interesting thing that was challenging early on was realizing that there were, um, there were families who wanted me to write the essays for them. Yeah. <laughs> strongly not something that I feel good about. And I, yeah, I'm part of I'm part of HECA. I don't know if you guys are, but there's yes. ethics list. Yeah. So fellow HECA members. And I that my ethics and my integrity is something I take really seriously. Like, do I want to help every student become a great writer? Yeah, I do, but I want them to be the the writer. You know, I want them to become the writer that I that they can live up to their own potential. And so having to communicate that with parents who might have, let's say, an entirely different expectation of what my role is, uh, was challenging early on, especially as I was younger. And, you know, I had to stand up for myself and I occasionally had to fire people. <laughs> I'd say, I'm sorry, you have really, and that was a learning experience for me. Yeah. You have different expectations of what my role here is and uh, here's your money back. Right. And it's true. Huh. It's hard, it's hard to do that early on when you're just starting out and yep. return someone's money to them. And, and then once you do it once, I've only really had, I've had to do that twice. And um, anyhow, that was, a, well, that was a challenge, but I feel good about my decision. Your integrity uh, isn't, is, you know. Yeah, you right. can't, you know, you can't be all things to all people. We found that out. You know, sometimes you just have to say no. Right. Uh, but Ra Rachel, uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything you want to speak about that we did not touch on? Maybe I would just say one uh, one thing I would say is that this process should be started sooner rather than later, wherever anyone who's listening to this, like it's not too soon to start thinking about this. Doesn't mean, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to go and hire someone immediately, but it's not too early to start thinking about it and asking questions. Um, and I would also just say one more thing, if anyone's listening to this who has full need, 100% family makes less than $60,000 a year, full need, they should be applying to schools that meet 100% of demonstrated need. And that feels like the thing that I feel like proselytizing to the world because I really, um, part of my philosophy is I want all the students who work with me to graduate without debt. That's something I care deeply about. So I would say financial aid literacy, you know, not just financial literacy, but financial aid literacy. Right, right. Something to take seriously. So that would be my message for parents listening is, is uh, get educated on financial aid. Absolutely. Good. Very Absolutely. good. Very good advice. Yes. And, yes. Uh, it, it's hard to graduate without any debt, but you want to do it with but as little right, as possible. possible. Right. And uh, if someone wanted to contact you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? 
Uh, yeah, my email is uh, rachelc1, R-A-C-H-E-L-C-1 at alumni.stanford.edu, or they can come visit uh, my home website, www.collegeessayeditor.com, and there's also contact information um, on our home site. Good. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Rachel, uh, for being with us. I, it's always goes fast and always enjoyable. We always learn a lot. And I want to thank all of our listeners for uh, being with us. This is Maria and Tom Geffers from Career and College Counselors, and we hope to see you in the next episode.